the river that runs through this book is words, the ripple effect of words. And so even using the word blame, how about we'll use the word accountability, correct? Because accountability is a constructive word. It's like who can argue with the importance of holding people accountable for their actions. And then once again, if people, unless they're driving, Andy, if they get a piece of paper and they put a vertical line down the center, what we put on the top of the left-hand column is words to lose and the top of the right-hand column is words to use. And our goal is over on the right to shape behavior instead of over on the left to shame behavior. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. Now, my guest today is a CEO of the Intrigue Agency and the Tung Fu Training Institute. She's a communications professional. We were just chatting before I started record, and I, and I was saying to her that I joined the professional speaking community nearly 20 years ago, and her name has been at the forefront in the US speaking community for all of that time. We've been connected for a while, but we've never really had an in-depth conversation. So I've really been looking forward to this. And particularly when I saw her new book, which is what we're going to be discussing, has just come out. I saw so many of the people that I rate so highly, uh, including many guests on the Connected Leadership podcast, like Dr. Ivan Meisner, Dr. Ruth Gottian, Susan Rowan, all speaking about her new book and, and speaking about how highly they rate her. And this goes back as, as long as I can remember. So I'm delighted to welcome her onto the Connected Leadership podcast and to talk about her new book, another one with a great name. Just go and look at the list of her books after this and see the fantastic titles she comes up with. This one is called Talking on Eggshells. And my guest is the wonderful Sam Horn. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Andy. I'm really looking forward to sharing some stories and insights with your listeners. Well, this is something I've been looking forward to for a very long time. So I, I'm sure you will. I, I want to start by getting right to the heart of the topic of your new book, Talking on Eggshells. Mm -hmm. In last week's Connected Leadership podcast, Exine Taval told us that conflict is not something you need to avoid. It's something you need to manage. And act Actually, without really realizing it at the time, that's the perfect segue into your new book and our topic today. You start by encouraging people to get comfortable. So let's start by looking at the role conflict plays in our professional life, mm -hmm. positively as well as negatively, because I do believe that there are two sides to the story. Mm -hmm. uh, and how do we get comfortable with it, as you put it? Yeah. You know, Andy, studies have shown that 67% of people identify as conflict averse. That means as soon as something goes wrong, they head for the hills, right? Unfortunately, conflict doesn't get better if we ignore it. It does get worse. And Elvis Presley, the famous singer said, when things go wrong, don't go with them. <laughs> and we may agree with that in theory. We just don't know how to do it in the real world. And so that's what this book is about, is that conflict is natural. All conflict is differences of opinion about who dropped the ball or who should have done what or how to do things. And so it's natural. And hopefully with this book, we have proactive grace, ways to handle it so that things go better instead of things get worse. I, I'm surprised the figure is as low as you quoted, to be honest with you. I would expect it to be even higher. People typically don't like conflict. Uh, and I find in a lot of my mentoring sessions, and this happened yesterday, 
I went to give some advice. And as I said it, I was looking at my notes from the previous session. I realized I gave the same advice in a different scenario. And that is address the elephant in the room and actually talk about what the challenge is. People are frightened to do that. So let's explore that. What are the upsides of conflict? You say it's always there and it's differences of opinion. I personally believe that that can be a force for good in many cases. So from your perspective, in what ways can we embrace conflict knowing it can lead us to a better place? You're so right. Are you an athlete, Andy? Do you play any sports? <laughs> uh, no, I, I am such a non-athlete. It's incredible. I watch sports. I watch sports rather than play them. <laughs> okay. Well, anyone who's played a team sport yeah. knows that we need different people on the team, right? We, if we're playing basketball, we need our three-point shooter. We need our guard. We need our center, etc. And same thing in business is that we need people who are conservative and who kick the tires and want to look at things through all angles before moving forward. We need the disruptors. We need people to go, mm, why are we doing it this way? There's a better way. You know, we need the financial mind. We need the emotional mind. And so all those are differences. And that is going to result in conflict because they will disagree about the best way to do something, about whether or not to fund this project, whether or not to launch this product. And so can I give an example about this whole book is how to be a pattern interrupt is that when conflict is getting ugly, when it turns personal, like you were wrong, you don't know what you're talking about. You drop the ball. That does not serve good purpose. And as you just said, conflict can serve a good purpose if we focus on how we can cooperate instead of in common or instead of in conflict. Want to know a good way to do that? Go for it. Okay. Let's put ourselves in a meeting because this is conscious leadership, right? And we're in a meeting and something has gone wrong and the blaming has begun. Well, you're the one who are supposed to tell the client, don't look at me. We discussed last meeting. That was your responsibility back and forth. Now, Andy, if we try and talk over them, what will they do? Talk louder, right? The voice of reason gets drowned out in the commotion. Instead, we do what they do in sports. We need a visual pattern interrupt so we can make a T with our hands. And we actually say time out or we say wait a minute, or, <laughs> you know, when we do something like that, it causes a pause. And then we say these four words, let's not do this. We could go back and forth for the rest of the afternoon about, you know, who didn't get this done and it won't change things. Instead, let's, so we can say this won't help. And when people are getting into it and the blaming and the shaminess begin, stop it. And then John F. Kennedy, the American president years ago said, our task is not to fix the blame for the past. It's to fix the course for the future. That's good conflict when we are fixing the course for the future instead of the blame for the past. I think we've got a good example of that happening in the UK at the moment. We have a public inquiry into what happened over the period of the COVID crisis and the lockdown that went with it. And there is a lot of discussion about what is the purpose of that inquiry? Is it to lay blame at the feet of those who didn't take the right steps? Or is it to work out the route forward in the future for future pandemics? And, and the truth is, it's probably a mix of the both, because if you're in public office and you do things egregiously wrong, you should be held accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a role for blame, but it's still using conflict in a pro productive, constructive way if you know why that blame is being laid, isn't it? You know, it's interesting because you probably noticed the river that runs through this book is words, the ripple effect of words. And so even using the word blame, how about we'll use the word accountability, correct? 
because accountability is a constructive word. It's like who can argue with the importance of holding people accountable for their actions? And then once again, if people, unless they're driving, Andy, if they get a piece of paper and they put a vertical line down the center, what we put on the top of the left-hand column is words to lose and the top of the right-hand column is words to use. And our goal is over on the right to shape behavior instead of over on the left to shame behavior. We want to be a coach instead of a critic so people learn from their mistakes instead of lose face over their mistakes. I I love that. And I'm going to come in a second to a quote in your book that I think really fits the spirit of what you've just said. Mm-hmm. And just before I do, just to, to go back a few minutes, you mentioned, you used a metaphor from sports and basketball. And actually we had Zaza Pachula, who won the NBA with the Golden State Warriors on yeah. the podcast. Uh, we had him on two weeks ago. And wow. Zaza, he, he used, you know, he talked about the different roles in the team and he talked about not having to excel at everything and having not so much the conflict in this case, but those diverse skills around you. So, yeah, you know, you know, you took the metaphor. He actually used it from his real experience. So let's go to that quote in your book, because I think this really goes to what you've just said. You quote a negotiation expert, Barry Nelbuff, who said, fight fire with water. And I think that's really, really powerful. So can you tell us a little bit about why you included that quote, why it resonated with you? And building on what you've said about our use of words, our use of language, how do we respond positively and constructively when others are negative and destructive? Well, it's, as you know, Talking on Eggshells is a follow-up to a book I wrote more than 20 years ago called Tongue food. And so let's talk about Barry's quote and how it is the core of talking on eggshells and tung fu is first time I ever gave a tung fu workshop. There was a gentleman in the front row. He didn't even get up to get a cup of coffee. He just kind of sat or a cup of tea. This is England. (laughs) (laughs) He just sat there gazing off into space. Now I'm curious. And I went over and I said, what are you thinking about? And he said, Sam, I'm a realtor. He said, I deal with some very demanding people. They seem to think they can treat me any way they want to. He said, I'm tired of it. He said, I thought you were going to teach us some zingers to fire back at people and put them in their place. He said, he said that's not what this is about. Is I agreed. And now he was the one who said, I'm a student of martial arts. He said, I've studied karate, taekwondo, judo. He said, what you're talking about is like a verbal form of kung fu, isn't it? I said, you're right. It's kind of like a tongue fu, eureka. <laughs> So now anyone who's listening, who's a martial artist, we don't go out looking for fights. That's not what we want. And if someone picks a fight with us, we don't do the fight, flight, or fright, you know, is we don't flail back and we don't flee and we don't like in our fear, just, ah, it's like we flow, correct? (laughs) The whole idea is to figure out how in that moment we can diffuse the conflict and get us on the same side instead of side against side. Now, Andy, I know you and I both uh, uh, believe in stories. You want to Quick story about that? Please go for it. I love stories. Okay. Well, I know a young woman who has a learning disability and it was very difficult for her to get a job. She was in her 20s and she was able to get a job at something called Salvation Army, working with the public. And the thing is, is that she really applied herself. She knew this was her chance. And so after about six months, her boss told her she was up for a promotion and she was just thrilled. And then the very next day, she told her that she was in danger of getting fired. 
Now, over on the left, if we are conflict averse, and especially if we are sensitive when things go wrong, you know, fight, flight, or fright, she would have dissolved in tears. She maybe would have quit on the spot. She would have gone home. Andy, she could have fallen into a depression. She would have rehashed that, how unfair that was, how undeserved that was, how, you know, just spiraled down. Instead, her therapist had given her six words. She went back the next day and she said, could you please help me understand? Could you please help me understand how I was up for promotion yesterday and I'm in danger of losing my job today? Well, that led to an honest conversation. It turned a hard conversation into an honest conversation. And her boss explained that a customer had complained that she'd been very rude. Bethany remembered the situation. The customer had tried to to return a used mattress with the cover taken off. That's illegal. You can't do that. She'd politely left in a huff. Ah, now that the manager knew what really happened, she apologized to Bethany, thanked her for enforcing the policy and gave her the promotion. Look at the difference of how if we flow with a conflict, can you please help me understand and said, this is so unfair. I can't believe you're doing that. We often can have an honest conversation out of that hard conversation. I think it's fantastic advice. I love those six words. Yesterday, I was speaking with a colleague who was very upset about something. And he had been, I I use the word advisedly, but ranting publicly about it, complaining publicly (laughs) about it. And he had gone around things the right way. He'd informed the organization he planned to do this and they were fine. Mm -hmm. But part of my advice to him was ask for feedback, Mm -hmm. seek to understand. And and I think this is becoming a very strong theme on the Connected Leadership podcast. Mm -hmm. It is seek to understand rather than seek to have your voice heard louder than everyone else's. And you're reinforcing that yet again. And how many times does conflict come out of misunderstanding? Conflict comes out of our perception of what has happened, our perception of other people's motives motivation and where those perceptions are different. Mm. What one person feels their motivation is, isn't how it's seen by others. Is that where conflict really comes from? You know, we're going to keep with this list because by the way, at the end of our time together, if you would like, we can send people this one page reminder card of words to lose and words to use. So whether people are complaining, blaming, this is going to help them know what to say when they don't know what to say. So let's talk about someone's taking their frustration out on us. We've all had that happen. And over on the left, it is so easy to be reactive. How rude. Why are you blaming me? This is my fault. I didn't make the rules. And once again, it only makes it worse. And my 85-year-old Aunt Kay is a brilliant example of what to do when people are blaming us for something that's not our fault, taking their anger out on us, is that she works in a hospital. Five days a week, she volunteers. She did this even during COVID. And I said, what was it like? And she said one word. She said, stressful. I said, put me in a situation where it was very stressful and someone was very unfairly angry at you for something you could not control. And she said, there was a woman who came in, she rushed in through the double door, she held up her phone, she said, my daughter has been in an accident. She just texted me, she's in the ER, I need to get to see her. Well, Andy, you may remember the rules back then, is that she called the ER, there was somebody already with the daughter. She had to tell the mom that she couldn't get in to see with the daughter because it's only one visitor per patient per day. Well, the woman lost it, she's screaming, she's sobbing. Now, over on 
on the left, Aunt Kay could have thought, how rude, you know, this isn't fair. Why are you blaming me? Instead, over on the right, she asked herself four words. Do you know what they were? Let's not do this. Oh, well, that would be <laughs> Or this is another, is this another four words? This is another one. This right, is, go for it. She asked herself, how would I feel? How would I feel if my daughter was in the ER and I couldn't get in to see her? Andy, it moved her from impatience to empathy, from contempt to compassion, and it gave her the incentive to turn there's nothing I can do into, let me see if there's something I can do. She called the ER back. She said, who is with the daughter? Andy, it was the Uber driver who had brought the young woman wow, in. Wow. She, she was able to explain the situation to him and thank him he left and the mother was able to get in with the daughter. Do you see the difference it makes to be proactive? Now, how would I feel? We may not like or agree with their behavior. We may understand it. And once again, it gives us the incentive to respond with compassion instead of contempt. It's a lovely story and it, it illustrates yet again that power of understanding, the power of getting the full story before you jump to a conclusion and jump to a response, which it seems a lot of this is. So I think you've already given us a lot of very simple and meaningful techniques to change our emotional state mm-hmm. when things go against us or don't go the way we want and mm-hmm. to change our reaction to it. You mentioned at the beginning that the vast majority of people just want to avoid conflict and walk away. And this does require a certain amount of focus and work. I sort of feel this has been answered to a degree, but I think it needs going into more deeply and to be reinforced because it's easy for you and I to be complacent about, well, this is obvious. But for people that really are conflict averse, I think we need to reinforce and emphasize and make them feel really comfortable with the fact that you can change behavior comfortably. So why should we speak up? Why should we have these conversations when there are risks attached to them? Because one person may have read your book, one person may have listened to this podcast, but there are two people in the conversation. So you're not guaranteed to get the response you want. Why not just settle for the easy life? Hmm. Oh, because it's not easy, is it? (laughs) Andy, you know, when we avoid this and often, why do we talk on eggshells? It's we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. We're afraid we're going to set that person off. We're afraid we're going to damage our relationship. You know, we're afraid we're going to say something that we can't take back. And so, Part of the confidence of having conflict and getting comfortable with it is if we do have viable options of what to say in a situation that actually help instead of hurt. So let's talk about someone accuses us of something that's not true. You know, and over on the left, the natural tendency is to deny it. If someone says, you women are so emotional, we say, we're not emotional. Now we are, right? (laughs) If someone says, you don't care about your customers, we say, we do too care about our customers. Now we're arguing with our customers about whether we care about our customers. So over on the right, here's another four words we can say that will actually, instead of being afraid of this conflict or denying it or getting angry, we can actually transform it into something that's useful. We can say, what do you mean? Because if someone says, you don't care about your customers, instead of saying, we do too, and taking umbrage, if we say, well, what do you mean? Well, I've left four messages and no one's called back. Ah, the real issue. (laughs) We can talk about that and address that instead of react to the attack. And do we have time for another quick story that shows another way? Good. I'm speaking at a women's leadership conference 
And a woman put her hand up and said, Sam, why are women so catty to each other? Now, Andy, I'd heard this so many times and I decided to Don Draper this. Don Draper in the TV show Mad Men, he said, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. So I said, ladies, let's agree. Let's never ask or answer that question again, because every time we do, we reinforce that negative stereotype. So what we say instead is we say, do you know what I found? (laughs) Do you see, you know, women are really champions of each other. I wouldn't have the speaking engagement if it wasn't for. So once again, when people make a negative accusation, do not use their words, because if we do, we reinforce them. (laughs) No, say, Do you know what I believe or do you know what I found or do you know my experience? And then say what you do believe instead of arguing with what you don't. It also feels like there's an underlying current of look for the positive in any situation rather than reinforce the negative. And that will bring you out of that conflict space as well. See, and you know, that's not Pollyanna. That's not platitude. That's not cliche. That's not naive or idealistic. I was at the UN and I had an opportunity to see Peter Diamandis speak. Peter Diamandis is founder of the X Prize. And he said something so profound that I put it in the book and I share it often when I give workshops and keynotes. He said that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are red capers who fight evil and injustice. And then there are blue capers. They don't fight evil and justice. They're force for good. Like X Prize is a force for good. They don't lobby or protest, you know, the inequity of funding for startups. They go and they find people who are solving the 12 sustainable goals of the UN, and then they showcase them and they fund them. And Andy, I think we all have, it's, we all have an opportunity on a daily basis to be a force for good. And especially as leaders, when we set an example about how to find solutions instead of find fault, if we focus on what we have in common instead we have in conflict, We are the lead domino, right? Where people are more likely to follow our example. Have you subscribed to the Connected Leadership Podcast yet to make sure that you never miss an episode? For more resources from Andy, including a regular tips newsletter, videos, blogs, and more podcasts, please visit andylapata.com forward slash insights. That's really got me thinking on a personal level particularly find solutions rather than find thought. I'm very aware that, you know, I'm politically aware and politically engaged. I'm not a political activist, but and I'm a floating voter, so I'm not allied to any one party. But I'm quite vocal about the current government in the UK and, and certain governments that the US have had recently as well, because I, I've always had that anti-injustice thing about me. I was involved with anti-apartheid when I was a student. I was a regional coordinator for Amnesty International. I find myself drawn into tweets that I don't want to post because I want to fight for justice. I want to call out injustice. And you've reframed that for me, that instead of calling out the injustice, find the people that are portraying positive elements we need to see and elevate them. Now, it will require mindset training and focus and calling myself out on it more often. And anyone who listens and sees my tweets, feel free to slap me on the wrist every time you see me complaining about injustice. But Mm -hmm. I do like that reframing of it because we can counterbalance by sharing 
sharing more positive stories, elevating awareness of that rather than just attacking the negative, which there's plenty out there. Whichever side of the fence you're on, there's going to be plenty to look at at the moment. So that's a really interesting perspective. Andy, honestly, I'm so glad you picked up on this because I honestly think it is a sea change (laughs) in how we show up as an individual and as a leader. And that, so we both believe in benchmarks so that something is not just conceptual or intellectual. No, where is a real life example of this happening so we can see that it is not naive or idealistic? It actually works. And one of my colleagues and clients is a woman named Nell Merlino. Now, you know, I don't know the age of your listeners. It's just suffice it to say, I grew up in a time where women were second class citizens. It's like you had to be wait to ask to the dance. Women could be secretaries or receptionists or teachers or librarians or nurses or none of the above. That's a joke, Andy. Now, what could we do? Are we going to fight the powers that be? Are we going to protest? This is so wrong. This is unfair. You know what? That actually can imprint and perpetuate the conflict in a way that we do not make progress. It's people warring with each other. What did Nell Merlino do? She helped co-found Take Your Daughters to Work Day. And on one day, airline pilots, bankers, people who work for NASA are taking their daughters to work. And look at the sea change, Andy. You know, women these days can be, you want to be a judge, you want to be an astronaut, you want to, you can do it. And I believe it was because they chose to found their mission and their message and their movement on what they did want instead of what they didn't. A similar and recent example would be the conversation around mental health. It's been, particularly men's mental health, it's been built by positive conversation and it kicked off in Australia at one day a year where everyone's encouraged to talk and to ask, are you okay, rather Mm -hmm. than the negative conversations. And that's led to a sea change in how we address Mm -hmm. vulnerability and mental health conversations. So I think it's a really good example of that as well. Mm -hmm. I want to go back again and look at how people respond to conflict and whether it's the conflict-averse response, whether it's the rising to conflict and meeting it with further conflict response, whatever it might be. How much do you think of our response is driven by our early life experiences, our family background, by previous experiences in the workplace and so forth? And if we're conditioned deeply to respond in a particular way because that's how we've been taught it's done. Mm -hmm. How easy is it to reframe that? What a lovely question. And you're right. We're habits of creature, aren't we, Andy? (laughs) Is that, and we rarely change, in fact, unless we have what's called an SEE. That's a significant emotional event as we continue with our habits of behavior, our styles of dealing with others. And I grew up in a Cold War, not that Cold War. The Cold War was at home, and my dad was very emotionally distant, and my mom was emotionally wounded. And Andy, they were good people. I'm not throwing them under the bus because they taught my brother and sister and I to do the right thing. It was just that they didn't talk. You know, back then in particular, men in particular did not talk about their feelings. And so my mom got more and more hurt, and this became more and more of the elephant in the room. We would go on drives or have family dinners where a word wasn't said, but and there was often simmering resentment underneath. And so I learned to talk on eggshells in that relationship. And then 
I was in a relationship with a bully and, you know, I never knew what was going to set him off. I never knew what was going to trigger something. And I talked on eggshells there and I thought somebody's got to do something about this because this is not, this is not healthy. And I thought, well, I'm as much as somebody's anybody. I'm going to do something about this. And I know from experience that as human beings, one of our great gifts is to self-reflect and self-correct. And that means we look, is this style helping me or is it hurting me? Is it keeping me from healthy relationships? And if it's hurting, we can do something about it. And in the book, that's one of the reasons I focus so much on words, because so often when we're conflict averse, once again, it's because we don't have the words. We don't know what to say to that customer who's yelling at us, except maybe to yell back or to suffer in silence. And so we have words like the word, but is the biggest cancel word. You know, it's, I hear what you're saying, but well, you should have called, you know, if you couldn't do it, but it's like you did a good job on that, but I understand it's important to you, but that little three letter word creates conflicts. And if we just replace it with the word, I'm sorry that happened. And thank you for bringing that to my attention. You did a good job on that. And could you please reach back out to the board and ask them, do you see how the word and bridges instead of blocks. It advances conversations instead of anchoring them in an argument. So it's those little changes in our language, the ability to remember not to say but, to say and instead, to use those various four-word and six-word phrases. Mm -hmm. But we've got to be able to do that naturally. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that a lot depends on your mindset in that moment anyway, particularly until you have conditioned yourself to the change in thinking. Once it becomes habit, then I'm sure it's easier. But earlier on, we're conditioned so heavily one way, we have to be ready to make that change and conscious to. If you're tired, if you're frustrated, then we're going to revert. So how do we manage that mindset effectively, even if we are tired and frustrated before we've cemented it as a habit, that we can build that habit so that we can force ourselves to engage in a more constructive way and avoid conflict or or address conflict? We are talking about habit change and we are, this is a skill, you know, this is like, we needed to learn how to use our computers. We needed to learn how to drive a car. We needed to learn how to play the piano or sports. So you're right there. It's skill acquisition. And so here's the key. As I'll always remember, I was speaking for a hotel and the head engineer put his hand up and he said, Sam, he said, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. He said, you know, I use, but I don't even think about it. He said, in fact, I use all those words on the left, but, and should, and you'll have to, and can't because, and for problem and there's nothing. I use all those words all the time. I used them all in one sentence this morning. I said, can you remember this situation? He said, one of my employees came in and as folks were flying in from out of town, he wanted to leave early to go pick them up. And I told him, you can't leave early. This is our busiest time of year. We need every hand on deck. And and it's like, you should have told me earlier if you need to, you know, it's like, there's no way. I mean, he used every single one of these words on the left. And so I said, here's the good news. We can teach old dogs new tricks. And the key is to keep these words to use and lose in sight, in mind. Because see, if we have the, uh, you know, this reminder card posted right by our laptop, then before we fire off that email, we go, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> if we have it on our refrigerator and our kids are getting on our case, Before we lash out or say what's on the tip of the tongue, it's like, wait a minute, it really becomes a visual pattern interrupt. Can I share a favorite story about, I imagine many of our listeners are parents or they have cousins or nieces or something like that. There was a woman said, 
Sam, this is going to change the way I parent because we talked about turning the words, no, you can't because like, can we get this meeting started? No, we can't because our AV equipment hasn't arrived yet. You know, can can I move forward with that project? No, because it hasn't been approved by payroll yet. It's like, once again, we unnecessarily set up a conflict by just telling them, no, they can't do something. They see us as blocking them from what it is they want. And we talked about the power of the words, yes, you can as soon as, or yes, we can right after. And she said, I tell my kids no all the time. Can I play outside? No, you can't because you haven't done your homework. And she said, think of the difference because when I say, yes, you can play outside as soon as you finish your homework, do your math, let me have a look at it. Then you could, now they are responsible for what they want instead of seeing me as the one keeping them from what it is they want. See, it's not semantics. It's the whole dynamic of a relationship. I, I can really see how those, that change in language works. And I love the reminder card. You, Sam has waved it in front of the camera. This is an audio podcast, so you won't have seen it. But Sam, you're going to provide me with a link so people can download that and we'll put that into the show notes. So check check the show notes and you'll find the link there. And I will be printing that off and posting it up as well because I'm sure I have a few of those verbal ticks that I need to change myself (laughs) and create those new habits. While I can see how that language change can have a positive impression and can change the conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can all think of people who seem to love to have a negative outlook, the Eeyores in our, in our lives, if you like. Mm-hmm. And whatever we do to try and be positive, to try and change the tone of conversation, to be more constructive, the conflict always seems to sit there to the point where we feel like banging our head against a brick wall and really not bothering anymore. How do you navigate that, those situations? And actually, I'm thinking of a mentee of mine recently who was talking about a colleague who just, whatever she does, seems to want conflict, seems not to like them, not to be interested and just doesn't respond. Mm -hmm. How how would someone like that navigate that situation? Mm -hmm. You know, you're right, Andy. There are people who have learned that this gets them attention, the naysayer, right? The person who always points out why this isn't going to work. The person who always drags their feet. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush. People do this for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons, though, is it's working for them. Right. So I really, you brought up the word accountable before is that if we can picture the old fashioned scale of justice, you know, the lady of liberty and the plates and so forth. See, if, if we always see the other person's point of view, if we always put them first, if we always go along to get along, if we always give in whatever that other person's needs are being met. Well, what about the group's needs? What about everyone in that meeting who's having to listen to this naysayer poke holes in everything? You know, what about the customer while we're dealing with this one customer who's venting? We've got five other customers in line. See, I think in that case, it is not rude to interrupt. It is right. See, it is time to serve the greater good, the other people, instead of this one person who is getting off on all the attention they're getting. So I believe in, we interrupt by saying their name. We say Ruth, we say Bill, because when we say someone's name, they will pause for just a second. That gives us a verbal foot in the door. And then we say something specific about Ruth. We understand how you feel about this issue. And we've got 15 minutes left in this meeting. We have two other items on our agenda. 
we need to move on. And if she speaks, well, I wasn't finished. Ruth, we need to move on. And Andy, we use her name again. And we, with our voice, the inflection has clarity and finality in it that lets him know this is not open to debate or discuss. We have two more items. We have, you know, 15 minutes. We are moving on. So that's in a group or meeting environment. What about one-to-one? What about if you've got a colleague in your team or in another team who is always in conflict mode with you, who isn't receptive? to your approaches to be collegiate. How would you handle that and change the tone of that relationship? You know, so let's talk about personal and professional. There's also a technique in the Talking on Eggshell book called Name the Game. And there was a woman comedian named Joan Rivers and her daughter, Melissa Rivers, said, my mother was a travel agent for guilt trips. (laughs) (laughs) So if we say, oh, guilt. That doesn't work with me. What else do you have? You know, it's like policemen sometimes do this. You're not trying to bribe a police officer, are you? Well, not anymore. They're not. Bartenders use this. You're not asking for a free drink, are you? So we can say, hey, don't put me in the middle, you know, or hey, you know, it's like stop kicking the tires. You know, we need to get this out by Friday. And that isn't helping us do that. So when we name their behavior, we often neutralize their behavior because now it's overt instead of covert. And in a way, we're calling them out, but we're also calling them up because it's like we have things to do here, folks, and this isn't helping. And someone needs to step up and hold individuals accountable when they are essentially blocking the forward progress. It's going back to what I said earlier about the elephant in the room. You know, very often the advice I've given in mentoring is ask them why they're behaving that way, Mm -hmm. not in an accusatory way, but just say, look, I've noticed that you're not responsive to this or you don't seem keen to do this. Can you help your words? Can you help me understand why? And I think people respect assertiveness in that way, particularly if it's not blaming. Again, you're holding them accountable for their actions and their behavior. You're not blaming them for it. So again, we reflect back on the advice you shared earlier. Sam, you haven't disappointed in the slightest. I had high expectations and you've delivered. Really interesting conversation. Please do send me the link and we'll put that in the show notes. So if you're, when you're listening to the podcast, once you finish, go to the show notes. You'll find the link there. You can download that one pager with the change in language that you need. But buy the book. It's really worth it. It's Talking on Eggshells by Sam Horn and, and I highly recommend it. Sam, thank you so much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank Thanks, Andy. You know, Mother Teresa said, the world is full of good people. If you can't find one, be one. And I hope that what you and I have discussed helps us be the quality of person we want to be, even if other people aren't. That's a lovely note to finish on. Thank you, Sam. So thank you, Sam, for joining me. I really enjoyed that conversation. And and what I like about it, lots of stories, lots of illustration, but such practical advice. And as Sam spoke, I was jotting down some of those four and six words, missives, let's not do this. Could you please help me understand? How would I feel? What do you mean? This is simple stuff. No disrespect to Sam at all. It's like my books. They're common sense. It's just we don't apply that sense commonly. And it just sometimes needs someone like Sam to point out to us the obvious that we're missing. And I think that this book is a great example of that. And that conversation was as well. So I'm really grateful to Sam for joining me. And I hope you will join me again soon on the next episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. 
And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.